90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. I'm, you know, we're in our busy time, like always. We've got about another, oh, I'm going to say 40, 50 days of very, very busy. And then we'll be calm again. And we can actually (laughs) deal with some of the (laughs) logistic stuff that piles up during the busy times. (laughs) So it makes sense to me that when class isn't in session that you're busy. Do you have another spike in December during like Christmas break? You would be appalled at the number of emails I've gotten on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day asking me questions on projects. Are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) I'm appalled on so many levels. One, that someone would intrude on someone else. And two, like, man, what is wrong with academics? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I understand that's when they can work. But I'm not going to be working during that time. (laughs) Yeah. So this happened this weekend. This was speaking because we keep talking about email a bunch and we all know how I feel about it. Um, So someone in our office had emailed someone else within the university asking if, you know, such and such location was available for this meeting we're having upcoming. Okay. Because, you know, big universities, the most of the rooms are centrally controlled. Right. Right. So Monday comes. And I'm like, hey, what happened with that? She pulled up the response from this person. And the response said, I received your email. Or she followed up. She followed up on Monday. Hey, did you get that? Blah, blah, blah. Last week when I sent it. Followed up and said, I delete all emails I receive on the weekends because I don't work weekends. That's a little extreme. I'll even say that. I said, I immediately said, I didn't know that was an option. Yeah. What? I delete all emails I receive on the weekend? That's not how that works. You just don't read them. Just don't read them. Right? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That one was, that was impressive. I hadn't heard that one yet. So I do do, uh, well, I've got a, a trip coming up. I'm going to be out of pocket for a little while doing some some work. And I put in my email now, I did this once before <laughs> and had limited success. But, you know, a couple weeks out, I'm putting in my email footer in bold, notice, I will be gone from this date to this date. And you know how everybody's like, and I will have limited access to you. No, no. I will be gone from this date to this date. I will be unable to answer any questions or deal with any project-related matters. And then I put underlined, italicized, and bold, please plan accordingly. (laughs) If it's something that some of our staff can assist with, you know, please call the shop number. Otherwise, I'm happy to talk with you about your issue on my return. Wow. So are we going to have an over-under on how many emails you have when you get back? <laughs> well, I, mean, I will see email. Don't I'm just say that. I'm not going to be in a position. <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't say I'm not going to have access to it. Oh. I said I'm not going to be in a position where I have time 
mental bandwidth or resources to respond. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> because, you know, if I'm on site at, well, like, you know, let's say I'm doing business somewhere. Like, I go into your lab. You're paying my hourly rate to work on your equipment. Yeah. And I have to spend 45 minutes on the phone with someone else because they need help. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> That's not fair to you. You're paying for that time. Right. Yep. Just like if I'm in that person's lab, mm -hmm. I'm going to dedicate my time to them. That's what I've said I would do. That's what I'm going to do. Yep. Uh, so this was just clarifying it uh, <laughs> in, a, in a way of like, you know, you've had two weeks of warning. If it's a project that we're actively working on, I'm sure we will have emailed within that two weeks, so you know. <laughs> and there will be an autoresponder, like, hey, you know, I, yep. I'll get back to you after this date. And we'll see how that goes. I, the last time I did this, it worked pretty well. But I did have one person who... Uh, called every number known to man to try to get a hold of me short of doing the Michael Scott and saying, <laughs> you know, pretending to be your kid at daycare or something. <laughs> oh man, that's rough. And it's, it's not that I don't want to talk to people. It's not that I don't want to help with a problem. It's that I've committed my time to do something else for someone else. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm going to honor that. Yep. Exactly. That is, oh, that is how it should be. My last out of office message said, I'm outside looking at rocks. That's all it said. <laughs> I got that auto reply from somebody else and I totally ripped it off because I thought it was hilarious. And yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Yep. That's all it was. I'm outside looking at rocks. I'll be back this date. Thanks. Because <laughs> I figure, yeah. Well, no, I don't figure anything. That was it. Period. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Like, next time I go on vacation. We'll In 2047. Very... <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I, I'm very tempted to just go in and disable the Gmail app on my phone. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, again, it's not that I don't want to help. There are certain things that I'm responsible for 24-7. We have a service kind of like PagerDuty that lets me know when something goes wrong there. Mm -hmm. But if it's somebody that I haven't heard from in six months emailing with a question about something, it can wait three days. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly true. Oh, emails are, yeah. Oh, I got a terrible email. I haven't told you this yet, despite our long conversations before recording. <laughs> so there's a helium shortage, right? And, you know, all the troubles with my magnetometer, as usual. And so I was trying to, I figured I would call around to try to see if I could get helium somewhere else. No, 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 blah, blah, blah. So finally, my guy gets back to me. And the 100 liters of helium that I usually get is around 1200 to 1500 bucks. Sometimes it's as much as 1800 Is now $5,000. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So That's crazy. So, mm-hmm. 
supply issues, man. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. So it couldn't be a better time to buy a heliumless magnetometer. <laughs> it's true. Mm-hmm. Yep. So and uh, you know, as you're as you're going through, and I'm sure digging through all kinds of little electronics and chemistry things and there's all these little things you have to remember, right? Like the color code on the resistors or like how something's hooked up. And do you do the, do you do that silly thing where you play like a mental jingle or have somebody to remember something that's silly? Oh yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) And I thought we should talk about that this week because there's some weird stuff that goes on in your head. (laughs) hey yours too (laughs) oh man um yeah i thought we should talk about mnemonic devices and not just for the geologic time scale although i'm sure we're going to talk about that too (laughs) so i did find a paper on the use of mnemonic devices in the (gasps) geoscience classroom are you kidding me oh man i looked up so i listed all the ones i could think of that i use and then i looked up science mnemonic devices because there were some things that i thought whoa that's interesting but i didn't want to go too far down that rabbit hole i'm glad you also did too as well (laughs) so i looked at well i didn't look up i wrote down four mnemonic devices to talk about okay ones that i just off the top of my head could go oh yeah like either i use that or i know and remember that one right Mm -hmm. because to me those are the ones that are good right um, sadly, only one of them is tangentially geology. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's okay. I only have two geology ones too, so. Okay, so what, what's your first mnemonic device? So the one that I always, <laughs> um, the one that I think is funny, just because it's a weird thing to have to remember, and it's still stuck in my brain for no reason, it's not like I use this at all, is... The star classification. (laughs) (laughs) That was my number four. (laughs) We did not compare notes before doing this on purpose. That's amazing. (laughs) That's the first one I wrote down. Obi, a fine girl, kiss me. Yep. Mm -hmm. O-B-A-F-G-K-M, stellar classification. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Like, I don't use that. At all. I do a lecture on the sun, and I talk about star class, like, classification. But, <laughs> yep, that's my number See, one. <laughs> I, I don't do that. I probably haven't actually used stellar classification in 15 years, but I yeah. can still tell you that. <laughs> exactly. I can still exactly tell you where we are. So the sun is a G-type star, so there you go. Sun's a girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's all I got. <laughs> Oh, man, that's really funny. Um, I will say that two of them on my list don't actually have a real mnemonic device that goes along with it, but but that's okay. We'll get there. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so the first one on my list was better be right or your great big adventure goes west. Okay, better be right or your... Or- Great big venture goes west. Venture goes west. I'm writing that down to see if I can guess what it is. Oh, this is... Oh, yep, yep, yep. I got it. Hold on. This is 
obviously, is this um, spectrum? Um, no. It does Ugh. have to do with colors, though. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So it is black, brown, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet. Mm-hmm. White. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And... If that's not a spectrum, (laughs) it's some wiring thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's the resistor color code chart. Okay. Or gray at the end, yeah. Oh, man. As I wrote it down, I was like, oh, there's almost a Roy G. Biv in there. (laughs) It's real close. But yeah, so it's 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Nice. So on a res- on a resistor, the electrical component resistor, there are painted colored bands. If it's an old school resistor, like through hole, and you read those bands, so there are four bands generally. Some have more. The first and second are digits. The third is a multiplier, and the last one is a tolerance. Uh-huh. So, for example, a brown, black, red, gold. Let's say. Brown is one, black is zero, red is the 100 multiplier. So it's 10 times 100. Mm. So it's 1,000. So it's 1,000 ohms. And the gold tells you that it's plus or minus 5%. Oh, interesting. That's cool. So that's how I can, you know, look at a circuit board and say, okay, I see this, this. Okay, that's a... That's a one-third resistor divider. How do you know that? Well, better be right or your great big venture goes west. (laughs) Your great big venture goes west. (laughs) That's great. What's the the GW? The W is white. What's the G there? Uh, Gray. Gray. Okay, that's okay. Yep. Yeah. And I don't generally bother with the tolerance band. Like, I know that gold and silver are not so good and everything else is really good. <laughs> and unless I really have to worry about it, I don't know if it's, you know, 1% or 4% or or whatever. Gotcha. Uh, fun thing, too, when they make resistors, they don't make, like, they don't make 1% resistors and make 5% resistors. They make resistors and then they measure them. And if they're within 1% of the value they're supposed to be, they put a 1% band on them and charge you more for them because they get fewer of those. Oh, my gosh. What? Uh, <laughs> so when they make them, it is a bell curve. And, okay, this may not be true. For, well, it's not true for the little bitty surface mount because those are laser trimmed. But okay. the, the old school resistors, the ones that you see little tan packages with these bands painted on them, they just make resistors and they shoot for the ideal resistance on all of them. But they get a bell curve, and they charge you more for the, the ideal ones. Oh, my gosh. That is very interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. So there you go. That, that, that was my, my first one. What's your next one? Oh, man. Well, see, all these other ones you've probably even heard of, so now I'm very disappointed in myself, um, except my last one, which is how I remember hematite and magnetite. Um, (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) It's not that exciting, (laughs) but it does give a glimpse into how my mind works. (laughs) Um, I wrote down the geologic time scale one, but 
you know, whatever. The next one I wrote was the what? The geologic time scale. But didn't we do the a what? show? Of <laughs> the geologic time scale. <laughs> I'm not familiar with this concept. <laughs> so, John, there's this thing called geology. <laughs> this is my like lasting thing as a professor will be this. And I love it. So the students all pass it down because on the first day of intro to field class, we have a quiz, which no one expects. And everyone pees their pants on <laughs> because I tell them to write the geologic time scale. <laughs> I love it. And it's funny because I don't actually think it does get passed down because everyone wants the class behind them to suffer like they suffered during this quiz. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's so great. And people will turn in blank sheets of paper. And the look on their faces is terrible. And I'm like, obviously, I'm not going to grade this, guys. But. <laughs> Running your own little Stanford prison experiment there. Yeah, is exactly what I do. <laughs> 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 and, yes, I do laugh at them freaking out because they're seniors and they should know this stuff. So. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, um, it's fun. And I even give them a grade for coming up with their own mnemonic device. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like Bill Beasley gave, gave that quiz at the first day of Capstone. And it was very simple things like, here are two vectors. Like, take the dot product. <laughs> here are two vectors. Take the cross product. Uh, uh, uh. What's like, divergence? This is, this is your Capstone. Yeah. And Yeah, and everybody does poorly. And he's like, so how many semesters of calculus... Did you have like how many semesters did you do dot and cross products? Uh, so many. <laughs> but that's we're getting off on an educational tangent. We are, yes. and you could never get away with that. But that is a great thing to do. I mean, I guess you can get away with it, but more people it's should true. do that because that's exactly right. Like you're going out to represent everybody. But if you're a biologist and you go out and represent everybody. <laughs> That's why you need to know that King Philip came over for great spaghetti. <laughs> Kingdom, phylum, <laughs> class. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's not spaghetti, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yep. That's a good one. Uh, I remember learning that in um, AP Bio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, basically. And, well, yeah. I don't I don't know if it's, like, the best thing anymore. It seems like there's all these weird things that always get redone. Like, the geologic timescale gets tweaked all the time. I think in biology, disclassification also gets tweaked all the time. But I remember that from, you know, exactly way back in AP science classes. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay, so... This one I mentioned last week, <laughs> but I'm going to do it again because it's one I find myself using more than I ever thought I would in real life, which is Leo the Lion Goes Grr. <laughs> I love this. This is hysterical. So I didn't know this one at all. Yeah. Um, so Leo, lose electrons oxidation. The lion goes grr, and grr is G-E-R, gain electrons reduction. 
how you remember if a reaction is oxidizing or reducing. Are there more or less electrons? And then you can say, Leo the lion goes grr. And that is how you pass Kim too. (laughs) (laughs) So now that's a weird one too, because it's not, you know, just like the first letters representing the thing you're oh, trying to do, right? You like don't you see can't... torture until we get to my last one. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. That's great. <laughs> so I have to know which one you do for the planets, though, because I wrote that one down because this is the first one that I learned. And my husband and I were just talking about this last night, which was super funny. Um, was, we were talking about our kids and, like, what we think they'll do when they grow up and all that jazz and talking about, like, when we knew we would do what we are going to do. And it's like, I knew when I was five I was going to be a scientist, I wanted to be a mission specialist on the space shuttle, but, you know, whatever. I didn't want to drive it. Well, I I did, but (laughs) I wanted to be the scientist, and I knew I did. And my dad had taught me that um, the planets, right? So instead of the one that usually goes, um, my very eager mother just served us nine pizzas, he taught... That's the one I learned. (laughs) Right. He taught me Mary visits every Monday, just stays until nine, PM and the M doesn't stand for anything, obviously. Um, yeah, that's pretty tortured. Yeah, exactly. So it's 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 much different. And so it's Mary visits every Monday, just stays until nine PM. And I could never remember if it was stays just until nine or just stays until nine. So it wasn't the greatest mnemonic device. <laughs> But, like, I used that, and I said that in front of everyone in kindergarten class when we were learning about planets, and everyone just looked at me like I was insane. And, yeah, that's when I... Interesting. Yeah, that's when I declared my love for science in front of everyone and got laughed at. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's my one for the planets. And I refused to leave Pluto out, so... But I guess you could. Just stays until nine. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, it's not a planet now. Mm-hmm, exactly. Oops, till we looked at all these pictures and all these geological processes happening, but I digress. <laughs> we were talking at the, uh, at the shop about, you know, when different scientific concepts came about. And I said, well, a lot of these have been around for a long time, but they weren't knowledge to the general public. And they're like, oh, well, you know, why not? Because science wasn't cool in the 90s. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's for sure. For sure. Now everybody's like, oh, you know, I I looked at a picture that a spacecraft took. I am now a scientist. Mm-hmm. Which is um, fine. We want people to think like that, but yes. Exactly. Like, <laughs> that has its own set of challenges, but people actually care about science now. Yep. And that was not the case then. No. Like I said, everyone looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> Yeah, so that was my planets one, which was slightly torturous and different than other people's. Okay, so you're going to have to write this one down. Okay. It's just three words. Eli, E-L-I, the Iceman. Eli, the Iceman. Eli, the Iceman. This is an electrical engineering one again. Uh, I assumed so. <laughs> Oh, and get ready, because it's rough. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Okay, so if you pass a a current, a, well, it's a transient through 
an inductor or through a capacitor, it behaves differently. In an inductor, the voltage pulse is before the current pulse. In a capacitor, the current pulse is before the voltage pulse. Kind of weird. Yes. Now, you could, you could think about the physics of this. Like, okay, I'm storing energy in an electric field versus a magnetic field. And you could start thinking about Maxwell's equations. And you can reason your way to why this is. Or... That's not, that's <laughs> not really helpful when you just need to design the circuit right now. So, Eli the Iceman. In electronics, E is electromotive force, which is voltage. I represents current we normally label inductors with l because i is the imaginary number we can't use that because we use i a lot mm -hmm. and capacitors are c so if you look at the word eli it has an l in it right that's an inductor mm -hmm. and e is before i so the voltage pulse leads wow ignore the that we don't need that word it's just in there to make sense as much as this does <laughs> and now you look at Iceman. Okay, there's a C. That's a capacitor. And in the C, I comes before E. So the current pulse current. leads the voltage pulse. <laughs> I told wow. you it was tortured. That's, okay, so is this is this you or is this something other people use? Oh, no, you, you hear this chanted in electrical engineering <laughs> departments. Seriously? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is super <laughs> funny. Wow. It's a hmm. pseudonymonic that only an engineer could love. Oh, my God. There's so many useless letters in here. <laughs> yep. But Eli the Iceman, and then you just look. If it's an L, an inductor, the E comes first. Okay. Voltage leads. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's amazing. So this one, like... The foil method, right? You got first, outer, inner, last. But to remember the order of operations, did you have an actual mnemonic for PIMDAS or no? <laughs> Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Okay, that is it. Yeah. I always just remembered PIMDAS. I could never remember the mnemonic, which is so funny to me because that's the whole point of why it's there. But for some reason, that one never sticks. I just yeah. write down the word PEMDAS, and that's it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Did you ever use uh, Sokotoa? Yeah, so that's that's written right under PEMDAS. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. It's written right there. still use that one. <laughs> all the time. Yep. Absolutely all the time. <laughs> that's great. So if that makes no sense, it's sine opposite hypotenuse. Sine is opposite over hypotenuse. Mm-hmm. Cosine. CA is adjacent, adjacent over hypotenuse. Over hypotenuse yeah. Mm -hmm. Tangent is yeah. opposite over adjacent. Yep. Yep. Is at the top of so many math homeworks, right? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so many. And every time I do it, I got to do the whole thing. I got to write that down, and then I got to do it every single time. Now, I should try to find. Oh, I don't want this public, but. <laughs> it's um, okay. It's just on the podcast. <laughs> it's just us on the. Exactly. Nobody, nobody's going to listen to this. Exactly. <laughs> so, do you remember the quotient rule? Oh, goodness. Calculus? Wow. Okay, that's taking me back. Mm -hmm. The denominator times the derivative of the numerator divided by the numerator times the derivative of the denominator 
minus the denominator squared. Okay. Yes. How did okay, you, so it's what did you do? <laughs> so my calculus teacher in high school was writing it and was like low D high, you know, D's derivative, right? Mm-hmm. Minus high D low all over low squared. Yeah, so I didn't even have it right. That's what it is. She said that. She's like, oh, that sounds kind of like a song. <laughs> so you so sing- for extra credit, hey. uh, a classmate and I made it a song, and he played it on guitar. I brought in a drum, and we sang the quotient <laughs> rule song. I think I it, it lives on YouTube somewhere. I'll see oh, if I can find it. I hope it does. That's amazing. So yeah, we- it's the numerator, <laughs> derivative... Let's see. Denominator, derivative, numerator, minus numerator, derivative, denominator, divided by denominator squared. That's it. One minus is divided by. There you go. And you know that because you sang the song in your head. It's amazing. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> I was always shocked by people, but I have students every time who struggle with the geologic timescale assignment of the mnemonic device not because they don't know what a mnemonic device is but they say i just memorized it to which i say what (laughs) yeah that's not a concept i'm familiar with because i cannot just wrote memorize things it was it was very interesting to me yeah but it's like i did that with pimdas i could never remember i was like what is what are you guys talking about and so it's so funny that for that one I refuse mnemonics. But how could you do it for the geologic time scale? It is so long. Right. It's so long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing you don't have one, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> when you said geologic time scale, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> that I never use anymore. That I've never used <laughs> Oh, don't t- so. Oh, not, I have- not 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 anymore. Just shush. And <laughs> <Shush>. geophysicist. <laughs> so I have geophysicists in my you know intro to field class, and they throw an ever living fit about this. So yeah, you're not helping my cause, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, I t- it it is helpful to like you know if you're reading a paper and they talk about something in this time span, to have the little table cheat sheet by you. But mm-hmm. especially with what I do now, like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, if somebody's talking to me about geologic time, it's because they're giving me the background on the field area that they want to instrument. And like, that's very nice. What do you want to measure? <laughs> oh, my gosh. John, you're killing my little geology heart right here. So, well, you don't... I mean, we have numbers for a reason, right? Oh. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Campbell's onion soup develops Miss Pennsylvania perfectly. Truth judges critically. Pink mice owe elephants partial payment receipts. <laughs> or you just say 65 million years. <laughs> That's the uh, critical <laughs> part of the truth. <laughs> truth judges critically. 65. <laughs> there you go. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, there are some hilarious ones, and I can never remember it. There was a grad student who's actually back in grad school. I'll have to ask her. Her Cenozoic one, which is like Paleocene, Eocene, pink, mice, Paleocene, Miocene, Eocene, yeah, Oligocene. It was, 
because there's like three or four P's in there, and it wound up being like the sound of a motorcycle. It was like <laughs> or something, and it always cracked me up. I was like, how do you, what? And she would like make the noise, and her mnemonic was this like motorcycle noise. <laughs> Yeah, that was one of my favorite ones I've ever heard. And then these people who are like, I just memorize it. Yeah. Freak shows. <laughs> yep. It's impressive. Well, in, in aviation, we're all about the tortured mnemonics. Oh, my gosh. I don't even... Oh, we could have a whole show about acronyms, which is what I originally was going to say we talk about but i thought no we have enough mnemonics to well, like to my favorite is they're like aviate or well, no aviates but we're going to misspell it and we're going to change the i for a one because they kind of look the same so see i feel like this is what i do so, so my last one <clears throat> i'm a paleomagnetist <laughs> so i deal with hematite and magnetite a lot right and so to differentiate their chemical formulas this is how i think so H is before E, or before M in the alphabet, right? So H comes first, and so it is Fe2O3. Two is less than three, where magnetite is Fe3O4. <laughs> wow. H is before M, two is before three. <laughs> I see how you get there. Oddly enough... Sure. The inverse of this is how I remember affect and effect. Affect is at the first part of the alphabet, and it's go. It's a verb, which V is at the end of the alphabet. <laughs> so affect and verb go together. Effect and noun are in the middle together. Those go together. <laughs> Interesting. And that's how my mind works. <laughs> I generally think if there's a proper noun before it, like Doppler, it's E. Otherwise, it's A. <laughs> wow <laughs> I mean there are counterexamples but not many oh man there's tons of counterexamples um, yeah but that's uh, that hematite magnetite thing came from a very terrifying moment in my college career where David London called on me and said this is what you do Shannon what's the chemical formula of magnetite and I went oh god <laughs> Please get it right. And I just guessed correctly. <laughs> and most people won't be scared unless you had David London as a professor and then you just had flashbacks and I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> that man is probably the smartest person I've ever met in my life. And yeah. So I was like, I need to never forget this again. <laughs> and that's what well, my mind did. <laughs> Mineralogy is one of those where, like, if you can do rope memorization, you'll sail through mineralogy. That's mineralogy is for you. If you don't want to be a biologist, but you still love memorizing things, mineralogy if you can't is for do you. rope memorization, like I can't, mineralogy is your worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot for sure. Um, the, yeah, I, I'm fairly good at rote memorization, so. Any of the sciences would be for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I can't do it. That's interesting. That's very interesting. It's interesting to see how people's brains work in these cases. 
I, I've got to have a jingle, a song, an acronym, a visual picture that I can. I have a terrible time remembering like different airspace weather minimums. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if I draw a little triangle, I can fill it in and then read it. See, like I have to make my own visual, but I just can't mm-hmm. remember. Like, oh yeah, you know, this is this this and this. No, I have to draw my own little picture. And I guarantee you what I would do, I would do some kind of weird alphabetical and like places on the number line numerical thing to remember them. I don't know why that's my go-to, but it is. <laughs> like <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. How they relate to each other in the space, not on a figure, but in their proper, you know, order. Mhm. It's very weird. But there we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's good. Acronyms may be another good one to do at some point. Um but now in a not totally disconnected vein, I guess. It's time <laughs> for everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. And it's not disconnected at all because (laughs) when you're talking about, you know, I don't have rote memorization. I just don't think like that. Scientific thinking is what this is about. And I will say that I I got this off of our list. I'm sure it's from Daryl because I'm sure our whole list is from Daryl. Thank you, Daryl. These people who wrote this paper have like 15 other papers that we will be reading over the next two weeks. (laughs) I love the terms that this introduced to me. Yes. Night science and day science. There are three papers written by them about this. All of these things were written in 2020, and I love it. These two dudes just sat around and were like, let's just write these weird things about science. (laughs) And then they published like 15 of them (laughs) in all these different journals. Yeah, and, I mean, it makes sense. That, you know, day science is what you do for your job during the day. It's where you're doing the thinky bits to get more money. You're trying to develop, you know, the next whatever, cure for cancer, big geologic breakthrough. Night science is that stuff that all people that are into science do, which is where you're just sitting there playing with ideas at night. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a website together. It's night-science.org, just so you know. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, going uh-huh. there. Yeah. <laughs> so the paper that I pulled, um, because it was the first one that I'd clicked on, and then I had to look them up to get the paper and found all these other ones. And so this is by um, Yanni and Lurcher, and it's called A Hypothesis is a Liability. And the specific one was from 2020 in genome biology and it's it's an open access editorial which a bunch of these which a bunch of these are but it was a very interesting take and something that I think about quite a lot um because I remember my advisor I'd be like hey let's drill these rocks while we're here these unrelated rocks while we're out on some field campaign why don't we just drill these they're right here and he's like why I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Why not? It might be useful someday. Because we're here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. And I 
I'm going to send him this and say, this is why. <laughs> this is why. Because they say sometimes a hypothesis can be a liability because it blinds you to all the possibilities that your data are trying to tell you. And because you're focused in on your hypothesis, either proving it right or wrong, you might lose some of the other things that the data are giving you, but you just don't see it. Right. And I am interested in how, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before, but like how different people explore data. Mm -hmm. Again, if you hand me a big text file of data, the first thing I'm going to do is do a cross plot of everything against everything. <laughs> so they would have wanted you for their experiment. Um. Well, and I, and I hear you yelling at me about, you know, yeah, the correlation doesn't imply. I know. I just want to get a feel for the data. Are there crazy outliers that I clearly need to process out? Are things clustered really tightly together? Are they spread really far out? Do I need to do a transform into log space on some of this or, you know, just give me an idea of what's in here because looking at an Excel table of numbers tells me about as much as a cup of tea leaves. <laughs> so as I get older and go into mid-career scientist, which is gross to say, um, <laughs> I feel like this is something that I should write about because I think that this is where, and we've talked about it on here, we've had and I want to have more shows about visualizing data because I think that is where that's the bridge that a lot of people drop out of science and say, you know what, this is just too hard to think about because I don't think that is everyone's first thought to do is what you were just talking about. You know, like I'm just going to plot all this stuff. I have no idea what it is. I'm going to plot it against each other, see what comes out of it. And then go from there. Just like that's the way you're touching the data, you know. Um, and I think that's a big leap that a lot of people can't take. And they had this little experiment in here that shows that exact thing. That's a big leap that is very hard for students to take. Here are these text files. Tell me about them, right? And so they set up this experiment to do just that with these students. Yeah, and so these files had, for men and women, a participant ID, the number of steps that participant took in a day, and their BMI. And they would either give them a hypothesis and say, do the data support this hypothesis? Or they would say, here's some data. What can you tell from it? <laughs> and if you plotted steps versus BMI, you would see a picture of a gorilla. <laughs> Which is a nod to this experiment, um, which is really funny. So I'm sitting here reading this. My husband's in their room next to me. And they talk about this gorilla experiment. And it's this YouTube video where there are like six people and they have two basketballs. And three of them have white shirts. Three of them are dressed in black. And the YouTube video asks you to count how many times the people in white shirts pass the ball back and forth. And so the people are all sort of like making this random walk in this little area, passing these basketballs back and forth. And you're sitting there counting and a person in a gorilla suit, same sort of height as everyone else, 
enters the foreground, walks through, waves at the camera, and then goes on. Okay, so I play this, but I've seen it before. And my husband was like, oh, I think they did it 13 times. And I said, did you see the gorilla? And he said, what? I love that moment because I, I the what? <laughs> he didn't see it. <laughs> and then you rewind and show the same video to make sure you're not fooling them. Exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's, you know, that's what they're saying is like you have this hypothesis and you're so focused on it that you might not see other things that are going on. And obviously that video is about, you know, observational bias, which it says over half the people don't see the gorilla. So in this case, if you were hypothesis focused, 14 people did not discover the gorilla. Five did. Yeah. And if you were hypothesis free, five did not discover it and nine did. Mm-hmm. Pretty impressive. <laughs> and I, I feel like this urge to plot data is just a seismologist thing because every data point is so precious to a seismologist. We're like, how can we plot these in a way nobody has before and try to extract something else? (laughs) (laughs) And so what is that website, that correlation website? I know I ask it you every single time. Oh, Um, um, it has to, I'll find it. Right. So like so many times in science, you hear those words, correlation does not equal causation. Right, which means just because something does correlate doesn't mean that it should. <laughs> right, spurious correlations, is that it? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So just because something does correlate, it doesn't mean that they are connected. Right? So there's this website um, about spurious correlations. And so, like, one of them is right here. It correlate. it tracks per- almost perfectly. Swimming pool drowning. So number of people who drowned by falling into a pool versus films Nicolas Cage appeared in, done by date. <laughs> yep. Uh, also, number of people who died by becoming tangled in their bedsheets correlates <laughs> on a almost one-to-one with the amount of cheese consumed per person not, per year. I'm not sure there's not a correlation there. Oh, my gosh. Look at that next one. Divorce rate in Maine. And per capita consumption of margarine. That one tracks hard. (laughs) Yep. So this is, it's tylervigen.com. The website's called Spurious Correlations. (laughs) It's so strange. And there are a lot on here. And you can pull this up and use this. But the authors of the fun paper we're talking about say, okay, Yes, we know correlation is not causation, but (laughs) maybe there still are. It says, curiously, or clearly, spurious results will be generated during unguided exploration. And this generation of false starts is night science's own liability. That was very interesting. (laughs) Right. And so there may be these spurious correlations correlations and they go on to say day science tempers this liability so you can think of this stuff does cheese cause tangling in my bedsheet death <laughs> right and it's like huh that's weird that's the realm of night science and then during the day you're like okay let's actually take a look at this and see if there's something to be done here 
And maybe sometimes there is, you know? Well, as they say, quoting from the paper, you could be positioning, or you are positioning yourself for a discovery. Let your fantasies run wild to generate classes of hypotheses that would leave traces in the data. There could be gorillas hiding in there. I love it. That gave me chills. Like, this is such a cool editorial. Yeah, because I don't know how many times people have just, especially if you don't look for outliers or look for weird scaling things in your data. I don't know how many times I've pulled, you know, say, well logs and gone, oh, well, clearly this data provider didn't convert the data from meters to feet like they were supposed to have. And so if I had done statistics on this and just printed out a big stats table, it would have been all wrong. Mm-hmm. Computers yep. are great at letting you do stupid things faster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's exactly right. This is, yeah, it's, it's very, it's a very interesting take that I feel like a lot of people don't share this thought process and I can't wait to read their actual papers about night science and day science. Cause I think that is the coolest, like that's the coolest phrase, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have seen multiple times, both in academic career in professional business person career, the things that, were like side projects yeah, or just random ideas have been the ones that have been the most successful. Mm-hmm. Yep. So my entire PhD on, and we sort of talked about this maybe some way back in slow slip dynamics started because I had a class where I had to do a experiment totally unrelated to anything I was going to do for grad school. And I was like, well, I'm going to, I've got a friend that works in the baking industry (laughs) and they have all kinds of weird, complicated stuff happen in silos with flour and sugar and all that. Like I'm going to shear baking flour just because. And I discovered that I can make baking flour slow slip and then spent the next four years working that into geologic materials. There you go. It's too bad you didn't know what age those geologic materials were because you didn't bother to memorize the geologic time scale. (laughs) Oh, I mean, they were... They were now, they were, you know, manufactured by U.S. Silica. Okay, fine. <laughs> not, not, not real rocks. I don't, I don't deal with that. Why Gross. would you touch that? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> you might get dirty. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if you would like to send in your own spurious correlation or mnemonic device that you use every day, we'd love to hear those. Shannon, how can folks get a hold of us? Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can tweet us at don'tpanicgeo. I am at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I would love to get on the Slack channel and talk about this hilariousness. Um, That is the Don't Panic channel on the Software Underground. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. There's an absolute correlation in our enjoyment and your support. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.